And a welcome back for hour two here on the Monday Crew at WRSU. Christian Vasquez, myself, Gideon Fox, joined along with Eddie Kalegi. Eddie, you just subbed out for subbed in for Dylan McCoy. Great to have you on air, Eddie. I don't think I've ever been on air together, so good good place to start. Yeah, nice to meet you guys. That was a pretty smooth transition. McCoy just phased right out. I came right in during the commercial break. That's how it works here at WRSU. Yeah, it's a magician never reveals their secrets, <laughs> but we got some things up our sleeves here at WRSU. So, Eddie, I don't know if you listened to the first hour, but we exclusively talked NFL. So, who's your NFL team? I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Yes, I heard the first hour and how you, the moment the word Jets was said, Chris came running in here oh, yeah. and found his way to a microphone. But I'm an Eagles fan. There's got to be some frustration, honestly. Um, the second half of the Raiders game yesterday was just absolutely brutal, and they made some bad calls. A couple, they, they tried two onside kicks, one early in the second half, which really didn't make any sense. Then towards the end, uh, in desperation, which I guess sort of made sense, but Nick Sirianni. He's made some strange decisions as coach, and it's kind of reminding me of Doug Peterson in the last couple years when he'd do weird things like going for two for no reason and stuff like that. Um, And Jalen Hurts has obviously been struggling, but it's a situation where you can't really blame it 100% on Hurts, and I'm still hesitant to make my complete assessment of him because he's technically a rookie because he only started four games last year. He still hasn't gotten a full 16 games in, but it's not looking good for Hurts. He's really been struggling um, they traded away Zach Ertz, so uh, of course that helped them with draft picks and stuff. And they do have a lot of draft picks down the line, but uh, as an Eagles fan, I can't be too happy at 2-5. and five. But of course, with as bad as the NFC East is, still tied for second place, baby. Yeah, that's <laughs> definitely the pro playing in the weakest conference in all of professional football. <laughs> Um, but Eddie, right when you got into the studio, you mentioned that you had another NFL story to talk about. Yeah, I was looking at Twitter when I just got here, and I saw that Kyle Orton, the legend, was trending on Twitter. And it's because he was called a legend by NFL on CBS. So they tweeted, um, of course, Tom Brady got his 600th career passing touchdown in the blowout win over the Bears yesterday. And they tweeted, and I quote, to put Tom Brady's 602 pass touchdowns in perspective, it's more than double these legends' career amounts. And they list John Elway. Joe Montana, Steve Young, Terry Bradshaw, Kurt Warner, Troy Aikman, and Kyle Orton with 101 career touchdowns. Now, just to put it in perspective, because I was reading the comments, and they, the next lowest in terms of co- total touchdowns was Troy Aikman with 165. Between him and Orton all time, there are 62 other quarterbacks that they could have mentioned in regards with Kyle Orton before Kyle Orton that are ranked ahead of him. You've got Archie Manning. You've got Jameis Winston, Michael Vick. I mean, there's so many different names they could have said. I mean, you got Peyton Manning, Drew Brees. There's so many notable quarterbacks they could have mentioned. But no, Kyle Orton. But I love Kyle Orton. You know, giving him some love. Yeah, hey, he was good in college. He had a good couple of years yeah. at Purdue. And then kind of fizzled out. But I mean, <laughs> everyone else, you know, those 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 quarterbacks named before all absolutely confirmed legends. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's kind of ridiculous. You, you you mentioned like when you came in, you said you see the tweet from CBS from NFL, you know, on CBS, saying that Kylo Orton is a legend. I was like, you never hear those two those two <laughs> words in the same sentence, no. and I can't even tell you the last time I heard someone mention the name Kyle Orton. <laughs> I kind of forgot he existed, but he was good the first couple years he came into the NFL, especially when he was with Denver before they brought in Tim Tebow. Um, I've seen that play. It's one of like the iconic Gus Johnson calls where he had some crazy throw. Brandon Stokely and they won a touch they won a game on like a game winning touchdown like 10 years ago or so but like you said he kind of fizzled out after a couple years but uh nice to see him getting some love on Twitter 
<laughs> and if you had to put someone else to replace Kyle Orton in that list, who would you put? <laughs> Patrick <laughs> Mahomes is in between that too. No, <laughs> oh. <laughs> absolutely not. I mean, seriously, the, if you wanted to compare it to other players that have played their full careers, I mean, you've got Archie Manning. What about Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Brett Favre? But no, Kyle Orton is the person mentioned. I don't know. I mean, I know they wanted to say more than double uh, these legends, but technically, if Tom Brady has more than double their career touchdowns, how many of these guys are legends? Because it starts fizzling towards the bottom with Aikman. Aikman was a great quarterback for the Cowboys and, of course, was a franchise QB. Only 162 career touchdowns, though. But I saw that list from 162 to 101. At that point, why do you need to add in another name? Just leave it at Troy Aikman. Adding Kyle Orton just turned it into a meme. Yeah, I think, you know, there's stuff like that happens. And it's funny because then it brings back all these names that, like, like you're saying, you just haven't heard of in so long. <laughs> that I'm just like, whose idea was it, like, just cut the list off. <laughs> like, don't even include an extra name on that. Just, like, stop it where it was. Yeah, because all the other ones, Bradshaw, Steve Young, Montana, Aikman, I mean, those are all legendary quarterbacks, and you can consider them legend status, and then you get to Kyle Orton getting to 101 career passing touchdowns. I'm sorry, 101 career passing touchdowns in the NFL is not legendary whatsoever when there's over 100 guys who have gotten over 100 career touchdowns. Yeah, look, I mean, that's no small feat. I, yeah, I, yeah. I'd be lucky if I could get yeah. even one NFL <laughs> touchdown pass, but it's always like when like someone notable on one team gets traded to another team and just like wraps up their career they're like you think of Peyton Manning you know split like when you envision Peyton Manning is he wearing blue or is he wearing orange you know <laughs> you think of like Martin Brodeur I don't know if you guys follow hockey but Chris mentioned it a little bit in the first hour he played like three games with the yeah, St. Louis St. Blues throughout yeah. his career so everyone's like St. Louis legend Martin Brodeur retires and it's like <laughs> obviously you know that they're kidding because the guy played three games with them and then went into their front office mm-hmm. so you know, hearing things like that, it's like, yeah, the legend Kyle Orton, the elite Joe Flacco, St. Louis legend Martin Brodeur. Yeah. And sadly, now Joe Flacco is not the Eagles, one of their backup quarterbacks anymore. But you know what? They got more draft picks, and suddenly the Eagles are turning into the Miami Dolphins from a couple years ago and just stockpiling more and more draft picks. And uh, Chris can have all kinds of fun now with Joe Flacco. The big quarterback battle between Joe Flacco and Mike White. It's going to be so fun for the Jets these next couple weeks. Yeah, a, a, a team with those, a game with those two quarterbacks running against each other would literally be the first half of Giants Panthers. 5 <laughs> 3. Don't know if you're watching a, a baseball score or a football score. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, that trade, I mean, sure, it makes sense because this is now assuming that Zach Wilson's going to be out for a little bit longer. But it's just, it's a conditional six round pick straight up for Joe Flacco. I mean, what do you, what do you think about that? I mean, if you look back at these last couple years, he got replaced by Lamar Jackson and then just seemingly fell off a cliff and then actually was playing decent with Denver the year after, then got that neck injury, was out for the rest of the season, then went to the Jets, didn't play well, and then, of course, hasn't had anything going for the Eagles and the Jets decide, why not, let's bring him back again. So, I mean, he didn't have much trade value to begin with. The Eagles also had three quarterbacks with starting experience and the thought, I guess, is that if the Jalen Hurts experiment really continues to fail and they're getting blown out they can turn to Gardner Minshew he's now an active quarterback on the roster and he does at least have some starting experience with Jacksonville two years ago so I mean he's not he's not the best option but I'd I'd argue that he's a better option right now than Joe Flacco if the Eagles had to turn away from Jalen Hurts so I, I think they've just realized there was really no use to keep Flacco on the team and anything they could get for him was really ancillary so that means you don't think he's elite 
he was he was back i mean he won a super bowl he won a super bowl and he was great in the early 20 teens i mean he they beat the patriots twice in the playoffs in a span of a couple of years but i mean since about 2015 he has certainly not been elite and he hasn't been a good starting quarterback since he got replaced by lamar jackson i think in 2018 before the playoffs that year yeah i mean like carson Wentz also won a super bowl and then just kind of fizz- i mean not not fizzled out he had those Plenty of knee injuries. Um, now he's with the Colts, but I mean, talk, we haven't talked about the Colts yet. I, I'm liking what I see from the Colts. I think they're a decent. General. I think they're a decent team. And as much as everybody loves to criticize Carson Wentz and the Eagles system ruined him or whatever, and kind of some people even try to draw comparisons between him and Sam Darnold for being ru- ruined as a system quarterback. He's gone to Indianapolis. Uh, I don't understand these stupid shuffle passes. He's tried them twice and they haven't worked out either time. Yeah, but as- those are terrible. Yeah, but aside from that, he's been decent. I mean, he he went like 170 pass attempts without throwing a pick, which was not something that he didn't do ever as an Eagle aside from his MVP, MVP caliber season before uh, he had the torn ACL. So... I think the Colts still have potential. They got up to a really rough start this year. They also had a tough schedule. They have a lot of division games still to come this season against teams like Houston and Jacksonville that they should beat. And they played a good game against the San Francisco team that, despite their quarterback uncertainty, still have a really good defense. And the Colts were able to put up 30 points uh, with Carson Wentz at quarterback. So I wouldn't completely count them out at this point. Got off to a rough start, but in the AFC, it really seems like that wild card battle could come down to some maybe an eight and nine team, maybe sneaking in for that seven spot. Just because I really think, I mean, the East, of course, it's the Bills. The North, somehow, the Cincinnati Bengals and Baltimore have really taken over the top with Cleveland all banged up. The South, it's just the Titans. The West, right now, is the Raiders and the Chargers. So that's that's six teams, and then you got the Chiefs, the Steelers, and a whole bunch of other teams competing for potentially that final playoff spot. Yeah, and we're almost halfway. We're just scratching halfway. Um, tomorrow, Next week will be week eight. So I think there's plenty to look forward to in the AFC. I mean, we'll see. There's there's so much so much that could change. We talked about the Colts got off to a bad start. Now we're good. I mean, teams will fizzle out. You know, things happen. Maybe the Chiefs will finally start playing football. <laughs> Maybe Patrick Mahomes will stop doing what he is doing right now and just throw some passes downfield and just stop lo- trying to look like a Madden character. The Chiefs. I mean, I I I heard you guys talking about them in the first hour, but I gotta I gotta give my say here. I mean, the Chiefs. It's it's amazing to see what's happened to this team because they have beaten the two teams that they were a hundred percent expected to beat, which are the Eagles and Washington. But against the five teams that are all good teams in the AFC that could have gone either way, they're one and four. And you'd expect the Chiefs team, honestly, from how they've played the last two years, to go four and one in a stretch like that, and they just haven't. But the defense is terrible, and this team is really a shell of their former selves ever since uh, the Super Bowl beatdown by Tom Brady. Um, the offensive line just doesn't give Patrick Mahomes any protection. But I'm not just making excuses for Mahomes because, and it's and you guys said it. It's not like he's getting figured out or whatever. It's just that he's. It seems like he's so carefree out there, and he just expects his receivers to come down with it. Some of those interceptions, I think was there was one against Washington where he was being tackled and he was literally, yeah, he was like an inch from the ground. He just throws it up in the air and expects, oh, well, either Tyreek or Travis will grab it. And, I mean, he has the assets that sometimes that pays off, but oftentimes it doesn't, and it's not this year. And, I mean, nine interceptions for him, and I think he said two fumbles lost last uh, yesterday and getting blown out by the Titans, it's unprecedented for the Chiefs and 
I'd be worried if I was was Kansas City because through the first couple weeks when they struggled, people thought uh, they'll, they'll figure it out. They'll get things back going. They'll get back to the top of the AFC West. With the way the Raiders have seemed to rally ever since John Gruden's firing for two consecutive wins to stay at 5-2, and two, and the Chargers, despite the big loss to Baltimore, playing really well this season aside from that, I don't see the Chiefs at 3-4 and four getting past either of these teams right now in the standings. No, especially because it's not like Patrick Mahomes, like we were saying, it's not like Patrick Mahomes is in a slump right now. It's not like he's a couple top receivers who are injured. Yeah, sure, Kelsey's a little banged up, but that's not that's something that a guy like that like Kelsey could deal with. It's now that like we were saying, it's Patrick Mahomes is is his his, his that carefree demeanor, that way that he does everything a quarterback shouldn't, and the way that he just doesn't throw the ball downfield, you know, regulars put your left foot forward, right hand forward. Um, the way that he doesn't just throw the ball, you know, if, if he's going down, the way that he doesn't just, you know, throw it out of bounds. We saw that in the Super Bowl. I mean, but this is before we knew that what the season would look like. We saw plenty of times where the Kansas City O-line just let the Bucks right through. Mm-hmm. And then we saw Patrick Mahomes somehow get a pass off and it hit his receivers right in the hands or right on their helmet. And they were good passes. But, like, now you're kind of looking at the point at the Chiefs and in Patrick Mahomes' career. Like, okay, maybe he just got lucky. Maybe that was just some beginner's luck. He's still young. Maybe, you know, the, the novelty of Patrick Mahomes is starting to wear off. And now he just needs a standard quarterback who could throw the ball downfield th- to his receiver's hands instead of, you know, running around, you know, behind the line. And it's not like their O-line is the best in the league. They, you know, they need, they just need efficiency. And I don't think Patrick Mahomes is going to be that guy anymore. He he has to change the way he delivers the ball. I mean, he, he so those flashy plays are cool. And, of course, everybody loves them. And you'll see ESPN and Bleacher Report tweeting and putting videos on Instagram of his crazy throws. But, uh, I mean, this year he's just inaccurate with those. So he might have to become a bit more of a pocket passer and more of a traditional quarterback to get things going because it seems like the flashy stuff just isn't happening as much anymore for Patrick Mahomes. But it's going to be interesting to see how they can rebound because – This is a top-heavy schedule. I mean, they've had to play Baltimore, Buffalo, Cleveland, Tennessee, the Chargers. They've had to play five teams that many people think are definitely or likely making the playoffs in the AFC. So it will get a little easier. I mean, they got two games against Denver. Of course, they uh, played the Giants next week, which should be an interesting one as well. Um, So, I mean, there's some opportunities for the Chiefs to get back on track. But, I mean, they're, they're really playing behind the eight ball right now. And just looking forward a little bit, what do you guys think about tonight? We have the Seahawks taking on the Saints. This one's in Seattle. Somewhat of a rainy night in Seattle, which is why I took on, I put a little player prop parlay on some of the running backs scoring oh. some touchdowns. <laughs> but what do you guys think about tonight? Oof. Geno Smith, let's see if he can have a little resurgence in these next couple weeks. See if he could look a little good. Obviously, he plays the Packers in one of these weeks, so don't want to see that happen. But... Other than that, hopefully you have a good Monday night game. The past couple weeks have been pretty good. I'd say a lot of the night games have been pretty enjoyable, whether it be Thursday, Monday, or Sunday night. So I just hope for a good game in this one. Yeah, the NFL's gotten really lucky with these uh, primetime games because all of them have been competitive, especially the Monday night games. They keep locking out. I mean, it feels like the Baltimore Ravens are on Monday night football every single week, but they're not this week. Um 
The Saints are so unpredictable with Jameis Winston. One week, they'll blow out their opponent. The next week, they'll just look completely silent. <laughs> and, I mean, they can't rely on Winston, like you said, like you said, Gideon. I mean, it's a lot of rain tonight. So they're going to need Alvin Kamara to have one of those signature games. And Kamara has been surprisingly quiet so far this season, uh, probably to the frustration of some of those fantasy owners that picked him in the first round. Um, and then, of course, with Seattle, Geno Smith, who has not looked awful out there. I mean, he kept pace with the Pittsburgh Steelers, albeit against, like, uh, ben Roethlisberger, who really shouldn't be an NFL quarterback anymore. Um, and, but they kept pace with the Rams after Russell Wilson went out. So I think Geno's playing pretty well. But once again, the Seahawks are going to have to count on that backfield. And with Chris Carson injured, there's not too much depth beyond that. So personally, I like the Saints tonight. I think New Orleans is going to have a strong game on the back of Alvin Kamara. But I think it's going to be a close game. And I think it's going to be another great NFL primetime matchup this season. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Seahawks running backs. Well, excuse me, now my allergies are catching up with me. But you mentioned the Seahawks running backs, and Rashad Penny is going to play tonight. I think that's huge for the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet on Alex Collins to score a touchdown maybe half an hour before I got that <laughs> alert. Um, but, I mean, yeah, they're probably going to have to run the ball. And I think, especially with Geno Smith, that was probably already in the game plan. I don't think the rain significantly affects it, even though you have guys like Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, who you could – a guy like Russell Wilson's able to find those guys. A guy like Geno Smith was probably going to have to rely on his running backs. And sure, he's not going to have the supposed to be star, you know, starter running back Chris Carson, but they still have respectable running backs in DJ Dallas, uh, um, Rashad Penny's who's back, Alex Collins. There's enough guys that you could make something happen with that backfield. But then again, you look at the Saints and you don't need a bat. You just need Alvin Kamara to run the ball. Um, you have to see. And if I mean they still have Michael Thomas again, who knows what's going to happen with Michael Thomas? But you have <laughs> other receivers who have stepped up, Marcus Callaway. But again, in a game like tonight, and when you're the Saints, you're in such a unique position where you have such a reliable running back, you could just dump the ball off. It's you have you have the option. And the Saints are not a terrible team by any standards. With Drew Brees retiring, I mean he. These last couple of years, I'm not going to say this has been the case his entire career, obviously, but these past couple of years, he's really been carried by the weapons he had, especially at the very end of his career. And Jameis Winston has a lot of those similar weapons out there on the field. Uh, And if Michael Thomas can get things going, of course, he has not been the same receiver that he was back in 2018 and 2019. But uh, between he and all those other other assets that you mentioned, plus Alvin Kamara, of course, in the running game, Uh, I think the Saints still have potential, and I think it's undisputed that they're the second-best team in the NFC South. I mean, the Falcons are on Matt Ryan's last legs, and other than Kyle Pitts, there's really no bright spots on that team. And then the Panthers have just had an awful collapse, of course, uh, making the Giants fans pretty happy. And the Jets fans, too, seeing Sam Darnold get benched. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the Saints are easily the second-best team in the NFC South. And they, if this year wasn't as strange as it was in the NFC... I think they'd have a chance at a wild card spot, but it's so weird right now how there's five teams in the NFC that either have one loss or undefeated. You got the Cardinals, the Rams, the Packers, the Cowboys, the Buccaneers all up there kind of running away with things. And then it's just everybody else battling it out for those last two playoff spots. Yeah. The the lowest record is five and one in the Cowboys. Yeah. And there's the, they would still be the fourth seed in the NFC. So there's going to be a team probably just like every other. They add spots, and there's going to be teams that maybe win 10 games and still don't make it in. 
Yeah. At least in the NFC. Yeah, and, the, and if, how about the NFC seeing a team that's five and one typically that might win ten games? Like, we when was Imagine. the last time we saw that? <laughs> it was the last time the Cowboys had a really good year. I think a few years back, it's always just eight and eight or whatever wins the division, and then they put them on Sunday Night Football the last week of the year for the battle for the division title when like three of the four teams still have a chance to win the division in the last week of the season. Yeah, because everyone's just equally bad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you look at you look at the. The NFC East, it's crazy because you have the Cowboys who have five wins and now pretty much look like a well-rounded football team. On yeah, defense, you have Trayvon Diggs, who I'm starting to slowly lose hype. And I think he's sort of losing cloud around him because as much as a turnover changes the course of a game, and he's pretty much guaranteeing you one interception per game, which is outrageous to think the about. record by the end of the year. It's 14 for the most interceptions. He's at like seven right yeah, now. Yeah, he's at seven for six games. Right, exactly. <laughs> and that's, that's remarkable. That's... I mean that's a start to a season unlike any other, mm-hmm. but he's also I don't remember, I don't know where, where exactly he ranks on the list, but he's one of the he gives up one some of the most yards per reception because he's make or break. He's either going to jump up and catch the ball, or the receiver is going to burn him. He's going to catch him you know ten yards downfield. So I'm slowly the more I watch Trayvon Diggs and as cool as it is to get an interception in all you know in every week you played so far and then that an extra one, I just don't think that he's gonna. I don't think he—that's not built to succeed. Um, yeah, most Cowboys fans won't even say that either. Seems like all of them, it's it just, oh, he's Defensive Player of the Year. Exactly, he's they're going to say it, a turnover changes no, the course no of the flaw. game. There's no flaws at all in his game whatsoever. Like, it, even in the Patriots game when he let up that bomb right after he had just ran back a pick six. Like the, he, had, he caught the pick six, though. He still got it. Right, exactly. So it's, sure, you could get it, you know, you could— even if you run a pick six, okay, fine. That you put six on the six points on the board all yourself. But even if you get an interception, it's still up to your offense. Then you give the ball to the Cowboys' offense; they're pretty much going to score a touchdown, especially if it's a division game. I mean, Dak Prescott looks fantastic. He does not yeah, look like good. he's rehabbing an injury mm-hmm. at all. It looks like last year just never happened. So you have those. You have them with five wins, and then Washington, the Eagles, and the Giants all have two wins each. So there's. Now there's such a separation between everyone else in the NFC East and the and the Cowboys. But, I mean, for the bottom three teams of the NFC East, it's going to be a battle for last. Yeah, and I don't know who's going to be last because Washington, of course, just doesn't have a quarterback. And Taylor Heineke has been trying to fill in. And when Ryan Fitzpatrick comes back, it's not going to be much better. And Ron Rivera seems pretty committed to just sticking with those guys. Then you've got, of course, with the Eagles, I already harped on it, Jalen Hurts, no defense, no offensive line. And then the Giants are just so, so crushed with injuries right now and just can't can't win close games. And they got lucky with that one against the Saints, but of course, luck was not on their side against Atlanta, against Washington. The Giants could very easily be sitting 4-3 and three right now, but because of the loss to the Falcons and the loss to Washington, self-inflicted wounds both times. Of course, Washington, uh, it was uh, Darius Slayton had a wide-open touchdown that he dropped. And then, uh, of course, the uh, jump on the uh, attempted field goal that was a miss, and then Washington gets a second chance. Then Atlanta, they should have had, they should have picked off Matt Ryan in the end zone. Falcons keep the ball, get a game-winning field goal. So Giants could easily be four and three right now. Uh, I, I'm not being a biased Eagles fan. I, I think the Eagles may be the worst team in the division. Uh, I think Washington's defense could turn things around, though. I have been surprised by how bad they've looked this year. And then I think the Giants, I think it's fair to say that the Giants are the second best team in the NFC East. I think the Giants could be the second best team in the NFC East. I think right now, records aside, I'd put the Eagles second best and 
that pains me to say it, Eddie, but you seem like a good guy, so I'm going to tell you that. Um, but I think the Giants, on paper, uninjured, should be better than the Eagles. That's I don't think that's – I mean, the Giants are anything but not injured right now. I mean, everyone's banged up. So, I don't know. I think there's plenty to see with the NFC East. As exciting as it is, and I, I kind of go back and forth with this in every sport, you don't like the Cowboys, right? They're our division rivals. Yeah. But at some point, it's you. It's it's nice to say that you lost to the best, right? If the Cowboys go to the playoffs and make an impact in the playoffs, as much as you want to root against them, you also want to say, okay, fine, we lo- we lost two games this year to the Super Bowl champions, or you know, we we squeaked out a win against the Super Bowl champions. Like it's almost fun to root for your rival. And you know, I have a couple of friends that are Cowboys fans, and of course, Christian, they make the argument that Trayvon Diggs is. The best thing to ever yeah, happen. Cowboys, Cowboys fans are the worst. <laughs> I know some of my boys are Cowboys fans. One, he actually will, he can see, he can like see that there may be problems wherever they're at. But there's another one I've known my whole life. There's nothing wrong ever. It's all two thumbs up in, in Jerry, Jerry Jones land. Yeah. Yeah, but to your point, like as an Eagles fan, I've been used to the NFC East being the laughingstock division for several years. Now, even as a Mets fan, I'm feeling the same thing with the NL East. So I'm kind of in this feel- feeling, you know, with the Braves now making the World Series, as much as I don't like the Braves and as much as they are a rival, it's nice to see the NL East finally proving the haters wrong that they can contend. And it's a similar thing with the NFC East because other than the Eagles, of course, winning the Super Bowl and maybe Dallas this year, the NFC East has been pretty bad for the last 10 years since the Giants won the Super Bowl back in 2011. So it's kind of nice to see one of the teams at least doing somewhat well, even if it is the Cowboys and even if I despise Jerry Jones and everything. But, I mean, the Dallas is for real. For And like you said, Gideon, like first game back for Dak Prescott, remember he didn't play at all in the preseason, and he comes out there and throws for almost 400 yards against the defending Super Bowl champions and only loses by two on the road. I mean, he has just jumped right back, and it's like that injury just didn't even happen. Yeah, and I think, like we said, it's still we're not even halfway through the season, but I'm scared of the Cowboys. I mean, you have a, a receiver. First of all, you're running back. You're starting running back is Ezekiel Elliott, who, sure, he's not a guy like, Alvin, you know, I, I don't put him on the same I would, I'd rather have Alvin Kamara over a guy like Ezekiel Elliott, and Kamara is just the first one to pop into my mind because we were just talking about him. But Ezekiel Elliott is not a perfect running back, but you have a backup in Tony Pollard, who is an excellent backup running back. Mm-hmm. He fits that role perfectly, and he could take he could take tons of snaps, more snaps that are you know, and more touches than a regular running back or starting running back could take. But then you have your receivers. You have C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper. You have so many options downfield that I think the Cowboys are putting together everything they need to succeed this year. I just have to say, so as a sports fan, yesterday was so painful for me because I was so excited. I had three things at 4 o'clock that all started at 4 o'clock that I was ecstatic to watch. The Eagles playing against the Raiders. I thought the Raiders a little dysfunctional right now. Maybe Philly can sneak in and steal a win. Then you've got the Nets having their home opener against the Charlotte Hornets. I thought there was a chance maybe they could win, get to 2-1, win in front of the home crowd. And I'm also a NASCAR fan, and I was rooting for Martin Truex Jr. from New Jersey uh, in the playoff race, so I was hoping he'd do well. He does bad. He's below the cut line. He might get eliminated next weekend. 
The Nets blow a 12-point lead in the third quarter, lose at home, and are now 1-2 and two and lose to the Charlotte Hornets. And then, of course, the Eagles lose to the Raiders. So all that excitement that I had going into yesterday for three sporting events, all happening at the same time. I was going crazy in my TV, switching between everything else, and I just get three frustrating losses. Just the day in the life for a sports fan. Absolutely. But like the way we ended the first hour of the crew, there's always stuff to look forward to in sports. Still plenty games to be played, but don't go anywhere. We still have half an hour here on the Wednesday crew. So This is your WRSU Sports Update. This is Christian Vasquez. In the NFL this weekend, the New York Jets headed to Foxborough to face the Patriots. The Jets fell to the Patriots 54-13. Elijah Moore had one rushing touchdown, and backup quarterback Mike White threw for 202 yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions. Zach Wilson was injured during the game, and after an MRI this morning, it's looking like the young quarterback will be out two to four weeks with a sprained PCL. The Giants hosted the Carolina Panthers at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford. The Giants got a commanding win 25-3. Devontae Booker rushed for 51 yards and one touchdown, and Daniel Jones threw for 203 yards and a touchdown, also adding one handed catch to his highlight reel. In Rutgers sports, number nine ranked Rutgers women's soccer headed to Illinois on Saturday for their last regular season game of the year. Rutgers won 3 0 and completed the Big Ten slate undefeated and with the best record of program history at 15 2. Rutgers women's soccer also won their first Big Ten championship in program history. The squad heads into the Big Ten tournament quarterfinals as the number one seed against number eight was. Wisconsin at Yerkeck Field against the Wisconsin Badgers. That game will be played on October 31st at 3.30 p.m. For WRSU Sports, this is Christian Vasquez. And welcome back to the last almost 27 minutes here on the Monday Crew. Eddie Kalegi, Christian Vasquez, and myself, Gideon Fox, with you through this hour. And you guys, we talked plenty about football. Football's always halfway through the season, but another sport is just starting. Every team's played a couple games by now. It's the NBA. So, Christian, Eddie, what do you guys think so far, what you see from, from the floor? Well, I got to start, and I'll turn it to Christian first. I mean, the Los Angeles Lakers, of course, you, you got to start there. They're 1-2. and two. They got a big win because John Morant can't shoot free throws last night. But two losses. You've got Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard fighting each other on the sidelines. You've That's got, not good at all. Yeah, Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony trying to carry the team last night. They are just so slow out there because – they're an old team, and of course, if the, if you saw this roster back in like 2013, 2014, this would be absolutely insane. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah, but now, I mean, it's difficult. The Lakers have kind of gone the route that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did in the NFL, just bringing in all of these aging stars when the Bucks brought in Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski, and Dominic Sue, and of course Tom Brady. Um, like, the it's a similar idea that the... Lakers have taken here trying to bring everybody in and LeBron's got all his friends out there but in the NBA that you have now you need a fast defense especially in the Western Conference when you're playing against all these young talented teams like Phoenix and Denver and Utah and you need and 
as much as some people might hate that the NBA has sort of become the 3BA, you need some three-point shooters. And the Lakers do not have a single consistent three-point shooter. LeBron James and Anthony Davis have added it to their game. So has Carmelo Anthony. But they're not going to consistently drain them from deep. And going into a year in a tight Western Conference with a slow defense and nobody who can consistently shoot the three, I don't know how you can really bet on this Lakers team to be the eventual Western Conference champions. Yeah, they're not looking too hot. Surely with just the talent that they have in their top, it, you know, it could take a little bit to go, you know, Westbrook is an MVP caliber player, and he's going to adjust eventually, he hopes, because, you know, first game he did not look good against the Warriors, but also that could just be that the Warriors look very good, and they have so far, and they still don't even have Clay Thompson or James Wiseman or even Jonathan Kaminga from this year in that lineup. So they're just going to... I think they'll get obviously get better. Like that'll be a team that you don't want to play in the playoffs no matter what just because of experience too. Yeah, Golden State, I mean you mentioned it. Their last two first round picks and of course one half of the Splash Brothers duo not out there. Yet Golden State's playing so well. Steph Curry triple-double in the first game, 25 points in the first quarter in the next. Draymond Green is doing his job right now, and the, the rest of the team, Jordan Poole, uh, Bielitsa, I mean, you've got some uh, underrated heroes out there for the Warriors who are really helping them out, and it seems like after a two-year turn of the tide where Golden State, uh, of course, went back to the pack, now they're coming back up, and they're seeming to rise as a potential contender in the Western Conference. Uh, Gideon, what do you think about the Golden State Warriors in the overall Western Conference outlook with it being such a tough conference? Well, I don't... So, I'm not a huge NBA fan. I'm more... I try to follow... I'm trying to get into the NBA because I love college basketball, so I'm trying to get into the NBA, and I'm, I've started... You know, obviously the way this year, I started off watching the Lakers-Warriors game, and I don't like the Warriors because they lost me a lot of money that night. <laughs> but... I do think taking down the Lakers in your first game, when you mentioned when you're not at full power, is no, is absolutely notable. And you have, you know, you could talk about how much the Lakers have, but the Warriors have one of the best shooters of all time, mm-hmm. who is as old as he is. He's still knocking down three pointers. And like you're saying, it's sure it's the NBA is a three and D league, but you have a guy who's literally the best, you know, at shooting threes. Then that works perfectly for you. Doesn't matter what kind of style of basketball is played. When you have a guy that could do that, then that, that, that's that's your forte. That's what your team could do. So, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think the Warriors were anticipated to win much in the Western Conference, right? Wasn't the Western Conference here going to be the Lakers? Was, I mean, people thought it would be the Lakers or maybe the Suns, the Nuggets, the Jazz, someone about there. I think a lot of people thought the Warriors would be better than last year, but still be competing for maybe, and maybe Christian, you could correct me on this, maybe around like a six seed. Yeah, somewhere. probably closer yeah. to the bottom because they made the play out, play in game last year. Yeah. So they were close enough. So there would surely be improvement just with Curry coming. Curry's still going crazy. So they surely were probably, that's probably a good assessment. Yeah, but I mean, so far they've looked like one of the best teams in the Western Conference. But uh, I'm a Nets fan, but I want to talk about the Knicks first. Uh, they've. <clears throat> They, they looked really good through the first two games. Then yesterday, they just started chucking up tons and tons and tons of threes, which is really uncharacteristic for them from last year when they were more of a physical team. And it cost them, and they ended up losing to the Orlando Magic at home at the Garden after going into the Amway Center on Friday. And yeah, yeah, and it was really shocking to see the Knicks play like that and just really rely on the three-point ball when they used to do that back in the days with Porzingis and stuff, and they'd just be trying tons and tons of threes, and it wouldn't work out. 
and it's kind of surprising for a Tom Thibodeau team, which is usually about physicality, working it inside, and stressing the defense. Uh, it seems like the Knicks were kind of playing out of, away from their strengths, and I think that's what really cost them in that game against Orlando. Yeah, for sure. It was a very close game. And after whooping the same team, you're playing the same team, essentially, what, however many days it was after. It shouldn't be that much of a divide that you give up the game after winning by, probably, what is that, 25 points, I think, on this yeah. game. So it's the not sure what happened there, what the different translation was. But they did look very good in the first couple of games. I was surprised. Against the Celtics, that, that was just an all-out war in that, that game. That was insane. That was a <laughs> very fun game to watch. It was You just... Didn't I, I didn't expect the Knicks to play like that right at the gate, but they're lo- looking like they're going to start getting better, maybe get some even bigger free agents to come there over the next couple of years because New York's a market everyone wants to play, and it's just the team was bad for so long. And then they, the Nets got the big free agents. Now I think the Knicks could start getting them soon. Yeah, they got to hope. I mean, it seems like throughout the past few years, there's been so many free agents that have sort of gotten scared away from playing for the Knicks. And it's not like, the, aside from, of course, the, two years ago, it's not like they were going to the Nets either. It's they were going elsewhere. And, yeah. like, I, I don't know. It's just it's just a weird spot for the Knicks right now. But they did bring in Kemba Walker. You add Fournier. A solid addition. There's established and Fournier piece. looked good in that first game. Oh, I mean, the, over, the, fir- the first overtime... He really made up for, of course, his defensive miscue was what led to the game-tying three. Yeah, I don't know what that was. (laughs) After Tatum slipped. When Jason Tatum falls on the ground with the ball with three seconds left, back still in his own side of the court, I mean, you got to— Should be over. Yeah, yet they were able to get somehow get that pass off and get over to Smart because I don't know what Fournier was doing. But he made up for it. He made four straight threes right after that starting overtime. Then they went to double overtime. I think he made a two-pointer in double overtime and, of course— they ended up squeezing out the win, but they've looked good so far, 2-1. and one. But uh, something I wanted to get both of your opinions on, right now in the NBA, of course, it's, it seems like it's a bit of a turning of the tide because there are some older superstars that are starting to fizzle out a little bit, that are starting to age. Of course, there's a young core coming in, and so many of these young stars that came into the league three, four years ago that are really making a name for themselves. But right now, uh, and maybe I'll go, I'll go to you first, Christian. Who do you think is the best active player in the NBA? Ooh, I <laughs> I always think Kevin Durant. You throw him out there on any team, the guy's going to be an absolute animal. And even even Curry is up there in that pick for me too. Whether he's been there for years, but just his three point shooting alone, he not necessarily he's going to get all that much contact. He's not going to take a lot of hits on the inside. He can shoot if he realistically wanted to. He could not step in the paint for a whole game and still put up 20 points just off of three-pointers. So that that just amazes you enough. He is he's catching up to Ray Allen. Surely I think he's like 130, 140 three-pointers away from being the all-time leader in threes. Yeah, he'll catch him this season. And, uh, yeah, 140 mm-hmm. for Curry is nothing. He'll probably <laughs> he probably puts up 15 a game. And even in the first game, he probably missed like 12 or 15 and he still had a triple double when he said he played like garbage but those players even some of the younger players that are coming up you know just know there's a basketball is basketball there's going to be generational talents every year it's not like the nfl where you have say all these quarterbacks where you might have a terrible quarterback class there's always going to be a generational talent in each nba class it seems like yeah and yeah i i agree with you i think steph curry 
sometimes can go a bit under the radar when people talk about the best yeah. NBA player because he's not a forward. He doesn't play the same position that LeBron. He's a point guard, yet the impact that he can have in so many ways. And it's not just as a shooter. His we, ball movement yeah. is just enough to – if you just watch a Warriors game and his ball movement, it's just – he's opening up so many lanes for the rest of his team. Their, their passing game is great as well. And just once you throw Clay in there, you're gonna they're just going to be really, really good. That's going to be a scary team in the playoffs because he'll – probably be back in the beginning of the year probably closer to playoff time too yeah he should be back before the playoffs it's just gonna be tough for him i mean he's been out two full years now it's been so long since he's got seen a, he's also got a chip on his shoulder now too getting well he gets snubbed all the time it seems <laughs> seems like that's clay thompson's thing he recently i saw a video of him at the warriors practice where he had a 77 number jersey since he was left off of the 75 <laughs> nba team and he was just not he. I heard that he's been looking good in practice so far. So yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that uh, list in a couple of minutes. But um, personally, I st- I love Kevin Durant. Obviously, as a Nets fan, but I think right now Giannis Antetokounmpo is the best player in the yeah, NBA. Yeah, and he looks like he gets better every year. It seems like yeah, it just continues to grow. I think it's hilarious if you go back on YouTube and find like his rookie play when he had the buzz cut and he was so skinny yeah. out there and he was still playing really well and he was that having was those dunks huge. from the free throw line and now he's just massive and just so dominant uh Gideon I know you're new to the NBA fandom but uh from what you've seen who do you think is the best active NBA player right now so active I'm gonna have to agree with Christian I think Kevin Durant could as much as we talk about Steph Curry shooting the ball from three Kevin Durant you give him the ball anywhere on the court he's gonna find a way to shoot I mean you know you look at a guy like Giannis who's built and you know, is 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 huge and now if Giannis could shoot the ball I think Giannis gets kind of thrown way up higher on the rankings but Kevin Durant is just lanky and could just shoot the ball from everywhere. It's it's crazy. And then not so far down the list of best active players in the NBA, you have James Harden. And having the two of them separately are fantastic basketball players. But you combine their scoring efforts on one team, I mean, that's that's something else. And if you have Kyrie, you just throw that in there. I mean, that, that's a scary team. That, the Brooklyn Nets are scary when it comes to that. But, you know, you also talked about there's some aging players, and Kevin and Durant and James Harden are not young. They've been in the league for a while. I think when it comes to some of the younger players, you look at guys like Luka Doncic, who 2018 draft, yeah, 2018 okay. draft. Yeah. So he's still he's you know he's had a couple years in the league. He had you know the weird couple COVID seasons, but now he is such a force for the Mavericks. He's doing everything that that's possible, and he's I mean he's huge. He's that's a guy that you want on your team. You, you want to re-sign him. You want him to be signed on for the long haul. Um, like you said, he, he's still incredibly young. I, I don't remember how high he was taken in the draft, but he could play. You know, he's all over on offense. And I think for for the Mavericks, that's something that you, you keep that. You know, when you have someone who's that young, it's not like you traded for him and you had to get rid of a bunch of picks. You just picked him. You just, you, you know, you had a good pick in the draft and you just took him. It's not like the Nets that had to make all these moves. You just, you know, you, you definitely did your research, but you got the right player. Yeah, and the craziest thing with Luka is the trade, of course, that they had with the Hawks on draft night, where the Hawks took Trey Young, the Mavs took Luka Doncic, and so many people debate who won that trade, and I mean, they've. it seems like both of them have fit with their teams well, and honestly, I don't know how, I think Luka would have fit well with Atlanta, I don't know how well Trey Young would have fit if he had st- if they had not made the trade and he had stayed with the Mavericks, um, and of course, Reddish went to Atlanta as well in that deal but I want to talk about it Christian this top 75 list that came out and of course there's some debate 
And just, I mean, you got to put a disclaimer here. This is an incredibly difficult list to make. And I was talking to my dad actually about this. And they did one for the 50th anniversary 25 years ago, which drew just as much criticism as this one. Notably, they put Shaq on that list. And it was only his, I think, either his third or fourth year in the NBA. Um, and there's a lot of criticism there. Here, there's a, honestly, I think it was a decent list. There's a couple glaring names that were left off. One for sure, maybe a little Nets bias here, but Vince Carter played in the league for so long, has one of the most iconic dunks in basketball history in that Olympics games in 2004, uh, stuck around, made the Raptors relevant, helped the Nets, uh, won a championship with Dallas, and stuck around for 23 years in the NBA. So, I mean, I'm surprised that he's not there. Tracy McGrady, a great talent as well. Dwight Howard, I'm surprised didn't make it on the list. But my one player that's on there that I don't think belongs, and it's an active player, Damian Lillard is a talent. Damian Lillard is a star. I don't think Damian Lillard has earned a spot on the NBA 75 list yet. I mean, I th- I think... Yeah, Dam- we're talking about accomplishments. There are people who got left out who have multiple championships. Probably, not probably MVPs, but still. like it, it, He's very good, and he's arguably one of the better scorers slash shooters in recent memory, but on the 75 list, it, I think that we could have gotten maybe even T-Mac on there. Yeah, I think I, I'd obviously, I, I'd 100% put Tracy McGrady above Damian Lillard. I'd pretty likely put Vince Carter above him as well. I mean, Lillard, he, he's he, he kudos to him for sticking around with Portland for all these years and battling through, and he's had some great seasons with them, and he's Carried the load, uh, he and C.J. McCollum, of course, these past few years. But he's only gotten, I think, to the Western Conference Finals once. And they always seem to just get shell-shocked in the playoffs. And aside from, he has two huge playoff shots, of course, that everybody remembers. The one against Houston, and then the game winner and series clincher against uh, over Paul George against the Thunder a couple years ago. But I have trouble having Damian Lillard on that list. And then the other one... I mean, honestly, I, I'm, I'm scrolling through the list and looking at it right now. There's no other names that jump out on here that absolutely shouldn't belong. But I, I, it's hard to leave off Dwight Howard, in my opinion. I know the second half of his career hasn't been nearly what the first half was. But he did he did carry an Orlando Magic team for a few years. He, he was Defensive Player of the Year three times. Led the NBA in rebounds and blocks four years in a row. And as a center carried a team by himself, which in this era of the NBA, really ever since 2000, is unprecedented. That's something you'd hear about back like in the 1970s when big men were so important. So, I mean, that's that's my opinion on the 75 list, but I don't think it was really a bad list at all. Christian, yeah, I don't think it was a yeah. bad list. Obviously, there's always going to be debate no matter what, whether, or whether you think something or the other. There's always going to be debate on these lists, but there's just so many players to pick from that the list is always going to be good. Like, you'd take either one of these players anytime yeah and one other one because i saw on twitter that some people were upset that russell westbrook had made the list and i know and maybe that was some recency bias it's a walking triple double dude. yeah yeah maybe that was just some re- look at his <laughs> stats yeah there's no one else who even puts up numbers like that he built he beat what a will chamberlain record he beat, for triple doubles yeah, he, like are you kidding me he beat a will chamberlain record he passed oscar robertson for all-time triple doubles at 31 years old with many years left in the tank and while he might not be getting those triple double numbers anymore 
Part of that is because of the team that he's on now, of course. With he the probably still could average 10, 10, and 10 once he gets into it. He's a big point guard. Mm-hmm. Getting those numbers with LeBron and AD on your team are probably going to be super easy for him to, as he gets down the season. Yeah, because he's got so many people he can pass to. He can crash the boards, obviously. It p- less of a load on LeBron, of course, as he's aging and he's in his age 37 season. But and still looks... Yeah, it still looks like better than some other younger players. Yeah, yeah. But, like, R- Russell Westbrook, I think, I mean, you've got to agree that he is one of the 75 best players of all time because he's got more triple-doubles than anybody in NBA history. And really, anybody who has who leads an all-time statistic at 31 years old is is, is really sensational. Yeah, a guard like that, you yeah. you got to put on. He's going to beat up anyone else who's out there. Mm-hmm. But... Gideon, I want to get more impressions from you because I know, like we said, you're new to the NBA. You followed that Lakers-Warriors game a little bit, and we're a little frustrated. But from this first week, we're now a week into the season. What are some impressions you've gotten from watching the basketball here in 2021-22? Yeah, so I think a couple things start off. And you mentioned Russell Westbrook um, and how he does belong on that list. Agreed. I mean, you can't deny the guy who is who has the most triple doubles in history. You can't deny him a spot on the top 75 list of NBA history. But right now, when it comes to this season, he is not panning out right now with the Lakers. Yeah. I mean, sure. The the name, you know, it's a household name when it comes to basketball. It's someone that anybody knows and him going to the Lakers, leaving the the struggling wizards where was, was huge, but he's just not panning out right now. And sure. It's easy. It's excuse me. It's early. There's, there's no reason to freak out yet. There's plenty of basketball left to be played. It's only October. But he's just not panning out so far. And I think, Christian, there's a bit of a question about was he a good fit for this team? Because he I don't he, know. He fills, I don't think so. Yeah, he fills the position that LeBron has largely played and played well for the past two years as a distributing point guard who can rebound. Because LeBron has essentially transitioned his game into a point guard these first three mm-hmm. years with the Lakers. And Russell Westbrook is the same qualities and then the most – the the most difficult thing with this is that Russell Westbrook and LeBron James d- both demand the ball in their hands. And Russell Westbrook, when he struggles and then when teams tend to struggle, is when he clashes with the superstar and can't really control the game. And that's what we saw two years ago with the Rockets when he was playing with James Harden. Yeah, it didn't and, work. Yeah, and they didn't really see eye to eye. And now when you have to balance it with LeBron and Anthony Davis and other scorers like Carmelo Anthony off the bench. I just wonder, I know LeBron wanted another star so it could be considered a big three, but I feel like maybe they would have been in a better position if they had gone for... Dame. Yeah, Damian Lillard, obviously, but even maybe a little lower caliber of a shooter, even somebody like a Buddy Heald, just as someone who Yeah, Buddy would have worked here, even Swiper. Yeah. Swiper would have done good for a a young point guard with LeBron. He would have learned so much. He just would have gotten better overall from it. Mm -hmm. But they need somebody who can shoot a three-pointer because, really, in the last three years, they've had Danny Green, basically, as their— Yeah, for sure. Yeah, as their three-point shooter, and in the NBA now— you, Threes are very important. Yeah, you got to be able to score from outside, especially when you're going to have to face defenses, especially, for example, against Denver, when you're going to have to deal with Nikola Jokic inside. Yeah. Utah, Rudy Gobert, you're not going to have the option of just storming down the paint and scoring. And there's a lot of small guards who are not going to be going inside and going to stay outside. So if you don't have a, a small, fast point guard who can shoot, or even guard up with, say, Trey Young, the kid's going to be dribbling past everyone, and he's just going to get shots to everyone else on the floor. Yeah, Russell Westbrook can do a lot of things 
well, and one of them is not really his shooting. He can yeah, score. Yeah, shooting is a little stiff, and yeah. it always has been. His mid-range has not been great. Sometimes even at the basket he misses easy layups, and then, of course, from three, he is not a three-point shooter. He's tried to become one, and it hasn't worked out. Still so. has not worked, even though he puts up – he averaged about 30 points per game in one of his seasons, and he still had a bad three-point percentage that year. Yeah, so I don't know. It's 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 tough to really judge. Like Gideon said, it's, it's early in the season, and there's still a lot that can happen. Remember the Nets were a bit of a mess at the beginning of last season too, when Kyrie yeah. and Kevin Durant were first fitting together. I think they were, I think they were as worse as bad as ten and twelve at one point, and then they made the trade for Harden. Uh, everybody got healthy at least for a little bit. A little bit. And then it was enough to get them on a stretch where they won sixteen out of nineteen games and jumped right up to second in the Eastern Conference. But uh, I'm really excited to watch this NBA season because. And, I mean, Gideon, Gideon is like an outside viewer who doesn't follow it as closely, can kind of get this idea that in past years, you know in the NBA it's one or two teams, it seems like, that are the favorites to win the championship. And it's been that way, really, throughout LeBron, at least since he joined the Miami Heat. So it's been about 10 years where it's about two or three teams that can win the title. Right now, this year, I'd argue there are about 10 teams that are legitimate candidates to come through for the title, including like six or seven in the Western Conference. Right, so then you look at the Western Conference, and we talked about the Warriors maybe exceeding expectations. Uh, but in the Eastern Conference, I mean, of course, you have the Nets. Probably put the Sixers up there. I mean, Joel Embiid also belongs in a conversation of some of the best active NBA players. Yeah. And we'll see what happens with Ben Simmons. You know, who knows anymore? But, I mean, when it comes, when it, like, when I think of who I can see winning the Eastern Conference, my head immediately goes um, to the Nets and the Sixers. But also... You know, the Bulls have had a good start to the season. You know, Chicago pretty much struggled ever since Derrick Rose left and, you know, was, was always injured. But the Bulls look like they're they're finally putting something together. Yeah, yeah, their defense is good as well. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they're, <laughs> they're chanting MVP for Alex Caruso in the second quarter yeah. the other night. Uh, yeah, I saw that one play. Um, I think it was Vucevic and Lonzo Ball had back-to-back blocks. I think it, le- it definitely was back-to-back blocks, and one was Lonzo. Not sure what the fir- who the first one was, but Lonzo got up with I forgot who it was, but he he got up for that block. It was a power forward. He he got yeah. way up there, and you know Lonzo Ball, of course, he's is, looking good. Is it Lonzo's looking good in Chicago? His progression has been interesting because he is becoming a better player in each and every year. And, and then you see his brother, who is just looking. He was disgusting last year, had the injuries towards the end, and this year he's just looking like one of the best point guards in the league. The kid's shooting lights out, and he the, you should see his fantasy points. He's putting up like 60 a game half of these times. Oh, trust me, I know. I had to play against him last, <laughs> last week, and that's part of the reason why uh, my fantasy basketball team's 0-1. But, yeah, the Hornets, too. I mean, you got him, you got Miles Bridges, who won Eastern Conference Player yeah, of the Week. Yeah, he's looking good, too. Yeah, and then... Of course, they have the greatest announcer in the NBA and Eric Collins, who always starts going wild whenever something oh, yeah. big happens. So uh, it's a lot of interesting teams out east. And, of course, Milwaukee, Miami should be an interesting story if Oladipo gets healthy and you've got Lowry and Bam and Jimmy Butler. But it's going to be a good year in the NBA, mm-hmm. and I think there's legitimate five or six teams in both conferences that can really contend for the title. And now do you think, do you think you're still going to be saying that come January, come February? Do you think... You know, how, how long do you think it's going to take for some NBA teams to just fall off the map, right? Let's say the Heat have a late-season collapse, someone gets hurt, they're done. You know, the, the Hornets, something happens, and, and they're done. You know, when, when do you think things start to, like... And I know it's very early on in the season. We've talked about how unpredictable the season could be. But when do you think we'll start getting a more accurate 
playoff picture, at least a, a playoff push. Well, the injuries are going to come, and we're going to see some teams start to fade away. It's not going to be as bad. We talked about this last time I was on the crew. Like, the, It's not as serious with the injuries because they had a full off season this year, so these players aren't too tired out. That being said, you're still going to see some injuries. You're going to see some teams fade back. I think by about Christmas time, I mean, every team's going to have played about 25 games by then. You can really tell who the, who the true contenders are by that point and which teams are going to make a push come the trade deadline in early February. So uh, that's what I'm looking at right now. But should be really fun to see. And I think there's a lot of – it's an unpredictable year. There's a lot of talented teams. The Nets and Lakers, of course, heavily favored, as are the Bucks, But they all have questions, so it should be really exciting to watch. And if you had to pick, you know, just before we wrap up here, just a minute to go, your favorite to win the NBA Finals right now. Finals were to start tonight. Who's going to win? I, I'm a Nets fan. I'm still going to keep my allegiance with Brooklyn right now. I still think that Kyrie Irving is going to be on the court eventually this season. I think it's going to come right near the end of the season. I think the Nets, if they can get past the Bucks. I think they can beat anybody that comes out of the Western Conference. And Christian, what about you? Yeah, same here. Without if there if Kyrie decides to get on the court and play one of these days, and there are no injuries on that team, they're they're going to be unbeatable. You can't beat the three scoring of that of that team, even if their defense is subpar. They're still going to put the points right back up right after. It's, you'll get high scoring games. It'll be fun games to watch, but they'll come out on top. Well, I'm I'm gonna have to trust you guys on this one. I mean, like we like I said before, Kevin Durant. Is high on is you know is such a good shooter. You combine him with James Harden. Hopefully you get Kyrie back. We'll see what happens. But you still have Joe Harris. You have guys that could make things happen. But that will take us to the end of our show for Eddie Kalegi, Christian Vasquez has been myself, Gideon Fox here on the Monday Crew. But don't go anywhere. Still plenty of programming here on WRSU FM, New Brunswick, and online at wrsu.org. <laughs>